I'm Russell, and this is Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. This week, we're featuring the book How to Self-Learn by Peter Hollins, and today is the chapter-by-chapter preview of this audiobook. How to Self-Learn focuses not only on learning, but what it means to direct your own learning. Anyone can read a book, but what about more? In this book, you'll learn to deconstruct a topic and then construct your own syllabus and plan. Gathering information, initial research, having a dialogue with new information. Unlock these skills and you'll unlock your life. Thanks for joining us today. Here's the chapter-by-chapter preview of Peter Holland's book, How to Self-Learn. Chapter 1, The Right Attitude, Learning Misconceptions. Whether you're studying for an important exam or simply working toward your self-development goals, knowing how to learn will be an important determiner of your success. Perhaps one of the biggest problems with effective learning is not that people lack the memory, skills, or intelligence to learn. It's that they lack the knowledge of how to do it properly. Even experienced teachers and professionals can have outdated and unfounded assumptions about the best way to encourage the human brain to learn as much as it can. In this book, we'll be looking at ways to shift your attitude toward the learning process so that you can not only be more effective at reading, taking notes, remembering, and staying organized, but also be more capable of deeper conceptual understanding. We'll consider not only handy tips and tricks, but also take a closer look at the attitudes, mindsets, and overall principles that underpin genuine learning. First, though, we'll consider what stands in the way of effective learning, the popular misconceptions about what learning is and how it happens. The evidence-based scientific facts tell us that our conventional understanding about learning is sometimes wrong. For example, a study by Simmons and Chabris in 2011 found that people believed that the memory works like a video camera, whereas there is zero empirical evidence to support this idea. Here are some other common myths to drop before we continue to more evidence-based strategies and approaches in the remaining chapters. Myth 1. To learn better, study for a longer time. (laughs) Wrong. The phrase, work smarter, not harder, comes to mind. Are you one of those people who looks up at the clock at the end of a grueling study session and considers it a success if a lot of time has passed? Do you write, study two hours on your to-do list? This myth is a lot more pervasive than it first appears, but it may hint at a misunderstanding of how the brain actually works. It sounds obvious, but merely putting in the hours at your desk is not the same as truly grasping material, storing it, and remembering it for the long term. Myth 2. Students know best. In fact, you may be a poor judge of how well you're learning and not great at self-regulating your study. Without knowing it, you may avoid challenging material. Hartwig and Dunlosky in 2012 found that students often choose strategies with zero scientific backing. And Cornell and Bjork in 2007 claim that students' intuition about the best approach 
is not usually trustworthy. Maybe you're going through some vocabulary flip cards or practicing math problems. You may decide that you've practiced enough, but could that just be your laziness talking? Myth 3. If you've learned it, you'll remember it. When it comes to memory, many of us assume that once something is drilled into memory, it stays there. But cognitive researchers and learning scientists have discovered that the memory is a complicated, dynamic process. Your natural tendency is actually to forget, unless you're actively trying to avoid it. Some estimates have us forgetting around 80% of what we've learned within one or two weeks. Unless we deliberately do something to mitigate the effects of this forgetting curve, we will never properly retain information, and we can never be said to have properly learned anything. However, if we don't understand... Chapter 2. Developing Reading, Note-Taking, and Writing Skills We've considered ways to cultivate the optimal learning mindset. Now, it's time to put those attitudes to work. In this chapter, we'll explore a big part of what makes up most people's learning, reading. Effective study needs a focused strategy for taking in, processing, and organizing everything you encounter. The first step, understand exactly what you're reading. SQ3R Method SQ3R is a study method for students who want to improve their overall reading comprehension. It was originally created in 1941 by pioneer of literacy theory Francis P. Robinson. And even though critics at the time believed it was too complex, the aim of the method was to simplify. If your study relies heavily on written texts and books, you may find it easy to get bogged down in too much complex information. The ability of the SQ3R study method to help students focus on the most important information within the learning materials is its strength. By breaking down the task of reading into more manageable steps, the five steps of SQ3R help students get the most out of their reading material and find focus. The SQ3R stands for Survey. To get a sense of the material, look over all the chapter headings and subheadings, skim the paragraphs. This should only take around three to five minutes and prepares your brain for what's coming. Question. Generate study questions from the content you surveyed. One great way to do this is to look at the subheadings you've skimmed and turn them into questions. For example, chirality and mirror transformations becomes what is chirality and how does chirality relate to mirror transformations? read. You begin reading the text while answering the chapter questions as well as the self-generated questions you created in step two. Recite. Process it out loud using your own words. Reading and reciting should take the most of your time. Review. Check all of the same headings you identified in step one and summarize all the information in your own words. You could also incorporate diagrams and mind maps. It really is as simple as that. Here's an example. Let's say you're working your way through some heavy philosophical writings. You're trying to gain a deeper and more sophisticated understanding of the social and cultural events leading up to the French Revolution, and, in particular, the influence of the writings of the Marquis de Sade and later Mary Wollstonecraft. You first skim read through everything, 
i.e. survey, and take note of the chapter headings, the various quotes and highlighted sections, and the labels on the images. You get a sense for how long each piece might take to read, and notice that two of the works you've chosen are by the same author. You get a feeling for what you're getting yourself into, but you don't actually read anything yet. Out of this skimming, some questions start to bubble up in your mind, i.e., the question stage. What are the authors of each of these pieces trying to achieve? Do they agree with each other, or are they presenting completely different accounts? What is each one focusing on, and are they all equally useful in helping you reach your learning goals? Maybe you start wondering if there are, in fact, better resources out there, and how you might find them. Eventually, you sit down to read, with or without jelly beans, but you go slowly this time, section by section. You bear in mind your original question. Chapter 4. Deep Learning Approaches The Feynman Technique We've covered the optimal attitude to bring to your learning, as well as a few key reading, note-taking, and memorization strategies that will form the basis of your study, whatever you've chosen to learn. However, learning goes well beyond merely processing and organizing bits of information. While there's lots to be said for a good memory and keeping information well managed, some kinds of learning require much, much more from us. In this chapter, we'll look at several approaches for developing deep learning skills within ourselves so that we gain a richer, more sophisticated, and more comprehensive grasp of what we're learning. If we do this, we haven't just learned a topic, but we give ourselves the chance to argue against it, engage with it, or even generate a unique and creative response that's all our own. The Feynman Technique is a learning method that forces you to develop a richer understanding of a subject, allowing you to reach your full potential. The method was developed by Richard Feynman, an award-winning physicist who won the Nobel Prize in Physics. His true superpower, however, was his ability to explain complex subjects to others in simple terms. He realized that jargon, ambiguous language, and complexity reveal a lack of understanding. The technique is really simple. First, identify the topic. Take out a blank sheet of paper once you've decided on a topic. As if you were teaching a child, write down everything you know about the subject you want to understand. Second, teach it to a child. Use only simple words and words that a child would comprehend. Third, identify knowledge gaps. Examine your notes to ensure you haven't covered any lack of understanding with jargon or glossed over anything difficult. And fourth, simplify. Rewrite your explanation in simpler terms. Sounds simple, right? The thing is, the simplicity of this technique is precisely why it's so useful. Even if you're studying very complex topics, you should still be able to summarize what you've understood and convey the main ideas to a person who hasn't studied them. You can only do this if you truly grasp the underlying structure. If you can't explain what you know to others, the idea goes, then you probably don't understand it as well as you think you do. As you practice this technique, be aware of a very common, very tricky trap. Knowing the words and terms to explain a topic doesn't necessarily mean you understand it. It's so tempting to get carried away with jargon and specialist terms and to simply regurgitate secondhand explanations 
fooling yourself into believing that this means you really get the deeper truths those explanations are pointing to. But how can you say you've learned something, and how could you remember it if you don't truly understand it? All your learning and remembering are superficial concepts and words, not the concept itself. In using the Feynman technique, the trick is that you're not actually explaining the concept to a child. You're explaining it to yourself. Try it. You may be surprised at just how poorly you understand the thing you thought you did. Let's take a closer look at each step with an example. First, identify the topic. Feynman invented the entire field of quantum electrodynamics, so don't feel that any topic is too difficult. Let's say that you want to explain the concept of natural selection and survival of the fittest, a topic many believe they understand but really don't. Pick a simple, not easy, simple, and straightforward topic to focus on. It can be a good practice merely to phrase what you're learning in just a few words. Chapter 5. The Bigger Picture KWL. At this point, having discussed so many different techniques, approaches, and strategies, you may be wondering just how to bring everything together. Should you use all the techniques? The answer is no. In this chapter, we're looking at how to take everything we've learned and bring it together to form a strategy that's simple and manageable, but also effective. One simple way to keep organized is to use the KWL approach. KWL, Know, Want to Know, and Learned, is a useful acronym not just for reading with purpose, but for helping you stay organized as you plan your study program. This approach is primarily used to organize your study process and stay tuned into your sense of purpose, but it's also a surprisingly effective way to boost memory. This is because you're constantly inviting yourself to check in with what has made it into long-term memory banks, what hasn't, and what you'd like to do about it. This technique only takes a few minutes, but will spare you from drilling material you already know and missing material that needed more of your attention. Simply draw three columns on a page and title them What I Know, What I Want to Know, and What I Learned. Now you can use this chart both before and after your learning to help you keep track of your progress and stay focused on your goals. Like the main idea web, this technique helps you discern between what has already been understood and what is still being mastered. This alone lets you shape your path forward. In Know, make a list of everything you know about the current topic. What have you already learned, heard, or experienced about the subject? What's the situation? What's the author's name? When was the text written? Who published it and why? Imagine you're getting a lay of the land and sketching out the boundaries of a new realm you're exploring. This step could consolidate the learning you've already done on this topic, or it can be a nice starting point for a completely new topic. In fact, you may be surprised by just how much you already know about even brand new topics. In Want to Know, continue your pre-reading preparations by making a list of what you want to learn after your learning session. Don't just jump in. What exactly do you want to know? Use the questions who, where, what, why, when, and how. This is like charting a route through the new territory. What you write in this column could be about your personal objectives, 
But in academic reading, it's more likely to be about what you need to learn from the reading for your class. Either way, you need the focus that a few goals will bring. Even before you dive in to read or investigate, can you find ways to connect what you want to know with what you already know? Are you expecting to have your preconceived ideas challenged in any way? In Learned, you answer and record the questions you posed above. As you read or study, make a list of the text's essential points, as well as anything surprising, contentious, or difficult to understand. Compare and contrast what you're learning, both with what you wanted to know and what you already know. Have you achieved what you set out to achieve? Have you found ways to correct previous misunderstandings or expand a previously limited view? The KWL approach is really all about reminding yourself of your ultimate learning goal to continually master the things you currently don't understand. Here's a few examples to show how flexible this approach is. And how Chapter 3. Boosting Memory Retrieval Practice Have you ever felt like you studied like crazy for an exam? only to find that when it came down to remembering things on the day, your mind went blank. This could be because when you were studying, you were, in fact, practicing the wrong thing. Retrieval involves recalling facts, concepts, and events from memory. Simply put, when we do retrieval practice, what we're practicing is this act of remembering. This is what matters, since this is the behavior we most want to master and replicate. The act of retrieving something from your memory strengthens the connections that hold it there, making it more likely that you'll remember it again. The research has repeatedly found that retrieval practice outperforms more common strategies like repeated studying, which often entails just reading and rereading notes. It remains one of the best-studied and well-supported learning strategies. Often, Students think they have poor memories when, in fact, what is happening is that they're not studying in a way that actually supports the way their brain makes memories. Luckily, it's not difficult to shift your practice so that you're rehearsing retrieval. There are numerous ways to incorporate retrieval practice into your classroom, and you may even find the process is easier and more satisfying than simply running over notes. Here are some examples of how retrieval practice can be used. Fill out practice tests. You can do these after each session or find mock tests that help you prepare for a main exam. The goal is that you never face a question in a real exam that is completely unfamiliar to you. If no practice tests are available, create your own questions and answer them. Constantly ask how questions may be framed and practice how you will answer them. Make your own set of flashcards to test your knowledge of the term's definitions. When you've mastered a card, get rid of it and keep focusing on the more difficult ones, i.e., don't keep practicing how to answer questions you already find easy. Dump your thoughts and write down everything you know and remember from the previous lesson before moving on to the next. You could start every study session with a recap of the last session. This warms you up, but also gives you hints about your strategy's effectiveness and where you still need to work. Feedback Check to see if the information you've retrieved is correct. Check your notes after you've answered a question to make sure you're right. The last thing you want to do is practice answering questions in the wrong way. 
don't worry if you keep messing up. There's value in asking why you make mistakes and then drilling the correct approach. For critical thinking questions, make concept maps. Here you're practicing an abstract way of thinking and rehearsing the process of organizing your thoughts, no matter what they are. Summaries Sometimes your material isn't geared to right or wrong answers, but rather to quality depth analysis. After every section, jot down everything you can remember without consulting the text. You can use the 3-2-1 strategy, create a semantic feature analysis, or make a mind map. Whatever you do, watch out that you're not just mindlessly following a rut of reading and rereading. You may feel that you're getting somewhere with this approach, but it is an illusion and one brought on by familiarity and not true mastery. If the first time you ever retrieve new material from your memory is in the exam, then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. Structure your... You've just listened to Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? This is your host, Russell, and thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in on Saturday, where we preview a new audiobook 